Oh, Matthew, I don't know if you know how old we are. <laughs> back a long way. Oh, gosh, many memories. I guess snow right now, you know, if we talk about the weather as we did, I do have a lot of memories of, of snow and growing up in the wintertime and being outdoors. Uh, I grew up in a pretty rural area. And uh, and back in my youth, uh, you know, you got bundled up. I'm the oldest of a family of six, and you got bundled up and thrown out into the snow. <laughs> and uh, a lot of a lot of time spent uh, building forts and and you know snow houses and snowmen and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think on a day like today, that's a memory that sits sits foremost in my mind. <laughs> that's awesome, Kevin. Have you dug anything up? Well. Uh- just uh, you talk about early memories. When I was um, I, I was very young, I went went with my father for some reason. Why he took me? He was part of a group of men who were moving furniture uh, from one of the church buildings to another, and I was left at the church. He said, "Just stay here. I'll be back in a few minutes." And while I was it was summertime, and while I was in the church in the vestry area, it started to storm and this thunder and lightning and rain. And I, I got frightened and, um, ran home. Although I was, how I knew my way home is, uh, (laughs) I didn't manage to find my way home in the pouring rain. And I was quite upset. And my father then couldn't find Find me. He was quite upset, (laughs) but it ended happily. But I remember the sort of the panic of running through the storm. Hmm. Weather's big here. Yeah, look, that, that, I'm going to just claim that as, you know, your uh, Northern Irish genes, because all we do is talk about the weather. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, if you've just jumped in, uh, hello and welcome. Uh, my name is Matthew Thompson, and you're listening to Best of Belfast, the podcast that celebrates Northern Ireland and the incredible people in it. Uh, today is something a little bit different for us. It's uh, a first for us, and that is that we are interviewing people who you've already heard from, Kevin and Donna, who aren't necessarily, as you kind of hear from the accent, uh, strong, born and bred Northern Irish folk. Uh, but we'll go through their bio and you'll kind of see where we are hoping to go uh, in today's episode. So we bit about them. Uh, Donna Dewar and Kevin Gallagher are second and third generation Northern Irish Canadians who first burst onto the hospitality scene when they opened the Mildred Pierce restaurant, introducing the phenomena of brunch to Toronto before publishing the award-winning cookbook Out to Brunch. Their latest venture, Mildred's Temple Kitchen, in the heart of Toronto's Liberty Village, reflects their passion for the return to the table and locally sourced ingredients, simply and sumptuously prepared. Throughout the pandemic, Kevin has also written Diary of a Restaurant, which features his musings and learnings of his years spent in the hospitality industry. Uh, If you've been following the show for a while, you know that once a month we have a special collaboration with NI Connections where we share the stories of incredible Northern Irish people living and working overseas. Uh, To find out more amazing diaspora stories, you can head to niconnections.com, which is also where you can sign up for their free monthly newsletter featuring some of our exciting and far-reaching global community. So, Kevin and Donna, I would love just to kind of pick up on that point. I'd love to hear the stories uh, of how your families ended up in Canada. Well, my father came uh, to Canada as a young man. He um, uh, was, well, just felt that there was no future for him in Northern Ireland. He was from Strabane. 
uh, he came out and uh, hated it. <laughs> he he couldn't uh, he couldn't believe what a desolate place it was. He came by ship. He came up the St. Lawrence River to Quebec City or Montreal, um, and he said he would go. They would go miles and miles and miles and up the river and never see a light. Wow. And then he ended up working for a farmer in a very desolate corner of the well in the Ottawa Valley. Um, and, um, he wasn't making much money. Uh, and he was, you know, he would, he would have loved to have gone home, but he couldn't afford the fare. So he was stuck here. And, um, fortunately one of the neighbors farms was, uh, he became very good friends with one of the sons, the neighbor's farm who happened to be my mother's older brother. So my mother's family, the, the area that he was in was uh, really uh, a farming community that had been pretty isolated. Well, I think up until a few years ago, there were a lot of areas like this. But all of the people who settled in this area had come out from Ireland in the um, 1820s. And the, as a result of the, um, the the farming changes there where the small farms were kind of dissolved. Anyway... They married, and that's where I came from. <laughs> that's unbelievable. So how big a role did your Irish sort of heritage, as it were, play in your upbringing? Oh, it, it, um, I didn't realize until I went to Ireland how <clears throat> Irish our whole family structure was, the way we ate, uh, you know, the, the role that religion played in the family. It, um, I didn't realize that other people did things the same way we did. Like, you know... I mean, simply eat a great quantity of potatoes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of a cliche, but... Uh, We've talked a lot about food so far. I'd love to kind of know, Donna, how did you get into food? And then if you can somehow shoehorn in the story about how you ended up studying to be an architectural technologist, I think that would be quite an interesting kind of little aside as well. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, you know, I didn't start out with the idea of being uh, in food and hospitality. But uh, growing up in the 70s, uh, as we did, and the restaurant uh, industry, the notion of restaurants was really, really coming of age, I think, at that time, particularly uh, in North America. And there were lots of jobs for young people to work in restaurants and hospitality. So quite often, you, you would do that to subsidize, you know, whatever was going on, whatever your real <laughs> life was. So whether you were studying or you were an artist or a musician. And I found myself, uh, you know, going to school and then working part-time in a restaurant. That's where Kevin and I met, actually, was working in a restaurant. Oh, the class. Same restaurant. Very yeah. appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, and so I worked in the front of house. I, I wasn't uh, in, working in the kitchen at all. And also back then, there were not, uh, it, there wasn't a, the glamour attached to being a chef that there is today. Mm. There's really nothing very glamorous about being a chef anyway. But uh, I was very interested in what was happening behind the swinging door in the kitchen. And coming from a large family and uh, spending a lot of time at the table, it, I found it very intriguing. And eventually I... Um, you know, thought, well, maybe I should go and study culinary. And uh, 
take up as a chef and, you know, work, work the ranks, that sort of thing. So that, that's really how it came about. I, I, and I feel when we've put together restaurant projects that a little bit of that, um, architectural background (laughs) handy, but, um, yeah, I think that, you know, Matthew, I, I think that the hospitality gene that Kevin and I both carry comes from our Irish background and, um, you know, you, you, you never hear anybody say, I've been to Ireland, I've been to Northern Ireland, I've been anywhere on the Emerald Isle and haven't <laughs> had the best time because of the hospitality, mm. not because of the weather, but because of the people and the, and the warmth and the hospitality. And I think, I think that's one of the great things that has transported that the diaspora represents is that warm welcome that you uh, th- that's so intrinsic to to the Irish? And um, so I can understand how Donna's you know architectural background has followed suit uh, in the line of work you guys have gone down. Uh, any any way chemistries continue to play a role in your life? I'm a very highly trained bartender, <laughs> but no. I, occasionally, something occurs to me that uh, mixing two things together might be a good idea or a bad idea. <laughs> Talk to me about how you know you guys bringing this crazy foreign alien concept of <laughs> hey, instead of like lying in bed on a Sunday until three o'clock, you could get up and go and have lunch with your friends. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I mean, brunch was. Uh... Well, when we came to Toronto in the very early 80s, because we we started our careers in Ottawa, which is even sleepier than Toronto. <laughs> but um, yeah, there was a there was a little cafe in Ottawa that was very, very much ahead of its time. And they used to do continental breakfast in the morning. And of course, restaurants were closed on Sundays. So the people that would get up uh, and go off to the the cafe were generally people who worked in the restaurant business might be looking for a little hair of the dog on a Sunday <laughs> morning, and but it was great it was great fun and uh, really enjoyed it. And then of course the general public sort of uh, took to it. So when we came to Toronto, it, it really we noticed that people uh, would go to church. And then they would go to one of the big hotels and have this buffet ah. breakfast, very stuffy, and I don't know. So we we just thought, well, why don't we uh, why don't we try this sort of brunch thing that we did in uh, that we we were only partaking in in Ottawa, and we'll see how it goes. And I remember the first Sunday um, I cooked. Kevin worked the floor. Our staff didn't want to work on Sunday. We we pitched the idea to them. Oh, no, no, we're not to work on Sunday. And we had two very young children at the time. Uh, they were young at that time. And uh, we brought them with us to the restaurant as we did so often back then. Mm. And uh, they ran around and, you know, made it a little bit harder to do our jobs. <laughs> delightful as they are. And I, I maybe, what, 15, 20 people came, Kevin? Would you say most of whom we knew? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The uh, the supporters, yeah. you know, the fan club, the family and friends, <laughs> and then uh, every Sunday it just continued on, continued on. But really, you know, we were a fine dining restaurant, and that was that was really what our forte was. And brunch then took on its own speed and momentum. And when we built our new restaurant, the area that we uh, are in now is very. Uh, 
built up old warehouse district in Toronto. And there's a, a lot of uh, young people who live in our community and they really have taken to brunch. So, yeah, I, I remember over the years meeting with other chefs who have, you know, big fancy restaurants and, you know, we get together and they say, oh, well, never, I've never cooked brunch, Donna, never. And I would <laughs> Yes, you will. You will one day cook brunch. Well, brunch, brunch had a very um, not a good uh, not a good rap. Good, good image. It yeah. it was uh, oh, this is the day we clean out the fridges, uh, and you would have present what your leftovers on a buffet, and <laughs> that was the perception of it. Whereas we tried to, we had a small a la carte menu, and we tried to use a lot of very fresh, local, seasonal mm-hmm. product on it, and. Uh, it worked. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think it takes that little experience as well to taste the difference between an omelette that maybe I would cook at home and this mm-hmm. unbelievable omelette prepared by, you know, a fine dining chef. You know, it, it's amazing what can be done with a few simple ingredients. Absolutely. And simple ingredients are always best. And um, I think. That kind of goes back to our, our, our upbringing because we, you know, Kevin's family, uh, uh, Kevin spoke of potatoes, but they had a huge, huge garden with everything was so fresh coming out of the garden. And the same for my grandmother, you know, any, t- any little patch of, of earth that was, <laughs> had concrete over it or grass was turned into garden. And, um, you know, we, we forget how wonderful fresh, fresh seasonal food tastes Hmm. and i think as well like i'd love to kind of hear about you know you mentioned the first time you open your doors for brunch you know the 1520 show up what happened from there did brunch start to kind of take hold with people did people start to get it as such oh yes they did and you know the next week we doubled and then we doubled again to the point where uh you know we we had to we had to have staff work us, the two of us, obviously, <laughs> good on our own. That didn't work out very well. And the opportunity to make money, you know, it always yeah. draws waiters. <laughs> yes, yes, servers were uh, reluctant to work on Sunday. I know, well, if you work Saturday, a, a busy Saturday night shift, and then you have to be back in the restaurant for 7 or 8 the next morning, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a tough turnaround. The same for the kitchen staff as well. But, you know, pre-lockdown, uh, pre-pandemic, we would serve 500 guests on a service uh, for Sunday brunch. Wow. And, and then we, we thought, well, what, what about Saturday brunch? Maybe this would be a few years ago, right, Kevin? We, we yes. thought, well, maybe we should do, we used to do lunch on Saturday. So we flipped it to, to brunch. So we'd do brunch on Saturday and Sunday. And then during the week, Monday to Friday, people were coming in and, and asking for our brunch dishes. <laughs> so we, we called it blunch. And that <laughs> is essentially brunch at lunchtime during the week. Well, so many people, particularly the age group that lived in Liberty Village, uh, are, were working flexible schedules so that mm-hmm. they might be working on a Saturday and Sunday and be off Monday and Tuesday or, and so you'd have people coming in on Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock looking for eggs and pancakes, and why not? And we do make the best pancakes in the world, Matthew. In the world? In the world. Possibly the universe. <laughs> Tell me more. Is, is this the blueberry ones, or are these different ones? These are the blueberry ones, yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it is, you know, as someone, my wife and I, you know, we love brunch. Uh, we lived in New York for a while. And actually in Belfast, there's a really, really kind of burgeoning brunch scene. And it's become a real staple focal point in people's weeks. You know, I remember oh, talking yeah. to uh, a really class architect that we've had on the show a few times. And he talked about historically how Ireland was all about the church the hearth and the pub. Those were the three places that you would go to meet people. And really, you know, these these restaurants, yours included, have become one of these really, really significant meeting places where people can come together. And it is, I think, one of the hardest part of, uh, in terms of our social lives through the pandemic, is not being able to meet in these places. Um, yes. But I love that with that, you know, you become kind of a bit of an institution. You know, you talk about these pancakes and there is a, a bit of a cult following around these pancakes. And I'd love to kind of hear the story of uh, you guys learning or walking the balance between trying new things and giving your customers what they want over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, not, uh, there are many things we've tried and, and have failed at, but I think you... Those are the risks you take as an entrepreneur. Um, and, you know, you want to, to listen to your customers, of course, and, and hear what their needs and wants are. But at the same time, you may want to pu- push them in a, or point them in a different direction where mm. you think they might enjoy it more. So you walk that fine balance. The pancakes are, are a cult. I mean, they, uh, people come, I don't know how many times our pancakes have been photographed or videotaped or, um, and, and Kevin, I, you wrote a story recently about taking a few items off the menu that were classics. Well, and, uh, who was our chef de cuisine and, uh, the first few years after we opened Mildred Pierce decided one, a day like today that was cold and uh, blueberries were expensive and we couldn't get wild blueberries, so we're using cultivated ones. And she thought, I'll make a nice apple cinnamon pancake instead. Mm. And it was lovely. But but people were outraged. <laughs> uh, they, they just, and, and you know, it, it, you get this, it's the, uh, not to be uh, too, uh, to find a point on it, but, you know, People, when adults, when they're hungry, start to resemble children. <laughs> you know, you're not sure whether they're going to cry or, or shout at you. <laughs> and uh, you think, oh, well, uh, okay, that's a step too far then. Maybe we'll just reel back. And we've never, we've never uh, changed in the formula of the blueberry pancakes, although I know Donna has refined the recipe somewhat over the years. But some things like that just don't work. Uh, and... You know, the whole industry, the whole restaurant industry is is about making people feel comfortable and welcoming and giving them the kind of things that they like. So part of it is knowing what you can offer people, what you when you can suggest sweetbreads to someone and when you should just say, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll just stick with the steak with this guy. <laughs> Gosh, I love sweetbreads, though. It's too bad. There are things in Toronto restaurants, probably Canadian restaurants, maybe all of North America, Matthew, you would know this living in in New York City. But, uh, you know, over the years, as being a chef now for over 30 years, watching food trends change, but sweetbreads, rabbit, uh, venison, you know, a lot of those things that might have a pheasant have been on menus 
classic menus 30 years ago, you, people will not uh, people will not be interested in eating today. Even even food changing like meat on a bone, yeah. lamb chops, mm. you know, the dish to the table and, and the responses, but it has a bone on it. Yeah. Because it's a chop. But oh I can't eat it. I can't eat it if it's got the bone on it. So <laughs> food trends change is interesting. But the one thing that I, I would say stays constant is the hospitality piece. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You have to make people feel warm and welcome in in your establishments and you know, that's this that's pandemic will change restaurants. Uh, for in the foreseeable future, at least, I don't imagine they're ever going to get right back to where they were, what the, where they've been. But one thing I think will not change is that uh, people want that uh, hospitality piece. They they want to be welcomed. You know, to your point about the the restaurants taking their place with the church and the pub, that that has become an integral part. And and as long as uh, restaurateurs can can uh, pull that together and make people feel welcome they'll be successful so talk to me about the the return to the table then because that has taken on a i suppose a new meaning with you know in a world of lockdowns and in a world where we can't go to the restaurants in the same way we used to but talk to me more broadly about this philosophy and why it's so important to you well we we embraced that philosophy years ago when we uh, probably about the time kevin we we started cookworks because the cookworks was, uh, we built it next door to Mildred Pierce Restaurant, and it was a cooking studio. It was designed as a place to bring people to teach them hands-on cooking, and we also did corporate team building in that in that environment. And it was great. It was great fun. We, we had a lot of fun with it, and then it turned into a, a show that ran on the Food Network for for a couple of seasons. But we noticed then that. A lot of uh, the younger generations coming up the ranks were int- really interested in not just sitting in a restaurant and having good food served to them, but they wanted to know more about the preparation of the food, mm. where it was coming from, and it was changing the dynamic around the table. So we coined that return to the table, which was wonderful to to see that happening. And to your point, Matthew, I... I can't. I can only imagine what it will be like when we get back to opening our doors again and welcoming people back in, and how I, I hope they're as excited to come back as as they were before the the pandemic struck. It, it will be different. I mean, we we won't want to see those huge crowds, but people really are really missing each other. And the one thing that I hear over and over again through all of this. Uh, Lockdown, and we've been in a lockdown since October the 10th here in Ooh. Toronto, which is a long time. People are saying, I, I know I can, I've discovered that I can live without a lot throughout this pandemic, but I can't live without restaurants mm. and it's because they want to, to be with other people. Absolutely. So, on kind of a more personal note, how have you guys, how have you guys been doing through all of this? You know, you're right there on the front of. Uh, the industry that's probably been impacted by this the most. So how do you guys deal with that as business owners and as people who have put their life and their passion into building what you've built? Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> Who wants to uh, go first? Donna, Donna has been um, very uh, uh, 
upfront with our suppliers and with our landlord. And um, our suppliers have been very good in not demanding payment for things. We, we've we've been paying as we go, but uh, it's been uh, an interesting interesting time because we're never quite certain whether we're going to have a business in, in a few months, whether it's still going to be viable for us to, to do it. You know, early in our career at Mildred Pierce, we, our landlord went bankrupt and we went for, for a while, we were going month to month. We didn't really know who to pay our rent to. Hmm. Somebody always came around looking for it, but you weren't sure who it was going to be. <laughs> we never were sure whether you're going to have a business in a month. So it, it gives you kind of a, I don't know, uh, an odd feeling. And it's kind of like that now. We're not, uh, Don has been doing a great job pivoting um, in terms of we sell pantry items. We sell the, the pancake mix to go, jams, j- jars of maple syrup, frozen biscuits and scones, things like that. Uh, but um, it's been... Um, Stressful. It's been stressful. It Absolutely. has. And I, I feel, you know, Kevin and I have weathered uh, a couple of recessions. Uh, 2008 was when we, we got ready to open our uh, the rest of uh, Mildred's Temple Kitchen. And it was a big financial commitment. It was a big space. And we were doing it, aligning it exactly with the, the uh, crash of the, you know, the housing market. And that was a very tough go for a couple of years. And, you know, 9-11, SARS, uh, you know, we've lived through a lot of these experiences, which I think is helping us. And we try to convey that to the young people that work with us or the young operators who are, you know, finding it really difficult to run their businesses, uh, that we will get through it. We'll come out somehow the other end. And for some, it might be starting over. For some, it may be a whole new direction. Absolutely. So, Kevin, in the the time and the space that you've given yourself to reflect on your career in writing, you know, this, this really, really interesting memoir. And I just I, I do legitimately want to congratulate you on your writing because it is really punchy. And I think that not a lot of people can write like that. It's short and gets to the point and it's very it, there's something very very endearing about it like even as me someone who's very far away who's never been to your restaurant i you know i really enjoyed going through it and kind of experiencing some of the things that you've experienced what are some of your biggest i suppose learnings or reflections uh, that you have taken out of going through that process yourself i think you know back to donna's point about getting through things you go over you go i start looking back at things and there's some some rather sad and tragic things that are likely to come up soon in these stories. Um, I don't know whether you've read about the two designers who worked on putting the restaurant together for us. Yeah. They, uh, they, we lost them rather sadly one year, but within six months of each other. And it was a big blow to us. Uh, so I guess things like that, that you look back on, you think, yes, um, we went through that and we're, we're, uh, we're doing well, you know, we're, we're, we're still, we're still alive. We're still thriving. We're still able to look forward to being able to do some new things and, uh, to, and to recognize that you can, uh, you can change, you can make adjustments and, uh, perhaps end up in a better place than you thought you were in. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And we still have coffee together every morning. We still have coffee together. And it's lovely. And talk about restaurants. That's funny. One of the things that I did want to ask was, you know, out of all the little kind of uh, routines that we all have to kind of get us through the day and get us through particularly this season of life, what is the most important? Is there anything you can you can tell us other than the, the all-important morning coffee? <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, uh, people are always uh, in awe of the fact that we have worked together for so long in an industry that's that's tough to work in together. Mm. Uh, we've seen it, you know, it take its toll on a lot of a lot of people. We do have our kids are grown up now, and you know, we've dragged them through our restaurant experience with us, good or bad. I, you'd have to ask them about that, mm-hmm. uh, but. I, I don't know. We, we still work together really well. Well, I think I why, it's, why is that, Kevin? we have worked together really well. I, I think uh, one thing I worked for uh, years before, I worked for a couple who used to fight in the restaurant all the time. Every day before opening, they would have a big argument in the tears. And, and it was really difficult. to. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and we swore we'd never get into that kind of business yeah. in the restaurant. And, and uh, we work together very well, though. I mean, we, we have our disagreements outside, but uh, we generally support each other. And we can go through the good part of a day and hardly speak to each other, not out of any kind of uh, antagonism, but simply because we're, we're working together. And I know I don't have to do this because Don is looking after it or... Uh, so I can devote myself to something else entirely. So, you know, I'm, I, again, I'm always interested in... Uh, that partnership model in business because for so many businesses that exist in that in that capacity where it is two people working very closely together the relationship is all important then you have the extra dimension as you know of then being married to each other as well and you don't want to blow up in front of each other you know when conflict arises in front of the staff and the restaurant so how do you deal with conflict that inevitably pops up in every single relationship oh uh well I mean, I probably, uh, Kevin, as you can probably glean from our discussion, Matthew, is very uh, thoughtful, measured, calm, uh, wonderful, amazing attributes of which I have none of. <laughs> uh, and I tend to just, you know, be hot, not not as bad as I used to be, though, Kevin. I think I, my temper has, has settled over the what, years. What, Mallow, uh, what melody? I don't, it, I don't know. I, I've worked on it because it doesn't nice. work. I have had to work on it. But, you know, in my early days, especially in the kitchen, because there was a culture, it still exists to a degree. There is a lot of kitchen culture that needs to change. Mm. But it's acceptable to go, to go off on a rage and uh, rant and yell at people and toss stuff around. And you go into a kitchen working, you know, you're, you're – um, you're sort of weaned on that, but it doesn't work. It's not a good way to do business. I think that, uh, you know, Kevin, Kevin is very, he really is. I would say I come up with the ideas, but he's really the strength of the business in that it keeps, it keeps it solid. You know, Mm. I remember once we did have a blow up, not huge, but we did have a blow up at the restaurant, Kevin, and I'll never forget the staff. And it was, you know, we weren't throwing, tossing things at each other, but we were obviously heated, very heated discussion. 
And uh, the staff, again, we, we never, uh, you know, fight in front of the children, as they say. But <laughs> the, our, our staff were so taken aback and so upset mm. that they had seen that happen. And, uh, of course, we, you know, we, we oh, yeah, we're fine. Just don't worry about it. But we, we for me, I realized the impact that that behavior has on the people that, that, uh, that work with you, you know, mm-hmm. that's very, creates a very stressful environment. So yeah, we, we are, we usually go to a restaurant, have a meal and talk it through because mm-hmm. we love to go to restaurants. <laughs> where is, uh, where's your favorite spot other than one of your own? Oh gosh. Well, we travel a lot. Uh, and we've been able to travel, you know, as we've, we have uh, established our business and, and we're, we have a bit more disposable income. Our, our accountant tells us we'd be retired if we didn't eat out in restaurants. So <laughs> but I think, what, what would we be missing in life? So we're always keen to try new things or we're, or we're keen to go back and try old things. Restaurants have been around for years and you want to know, well, why, why are they still in business? There are lots that come and go. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I can never say that we have one favorite. Would you say, Kevin? No, As, I couldn't say I have a I favorite. I couldn't say that. There yeah. are local restaurants that we love to go to. There's a little Indian restaurant near us that uh, Oh, yeah, that we love to go just, there. Yeah. You know, one of those ones that you just think, I, I can't think right now. I'm going to have to eat something. So we just... The best naan in the, in, mm. in the universe. Yeah. Near us. <laughs> <laughs> Next to our pancakes, yeah. Floating around up there in the in the oh, aerospace. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, uh, Kevin. I'd, one of the things I really wanted to uh, hear from you is you know you've obviously done a lot of work and you've obviously dedicated a lot of your time outside of the hospitality industry to really driving forward Irish culture in Canada. You know you work with the Ireland Fund. Uh, Donna told me that you have made steps to start learning the language. Why? Uh, well, I, I think a lot of that comes from my father, who maintained just uh, as a lot of immigrants do, who uh, maintained his uh, his Irish identity. He 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 recognized that he was Canadian, but he was, uh, I think, foremost an Irishman, and he uh, he was very strong on uh, Irish culture, and uh, he kind of ingrained that in me. And, uh, you know, my connection to the Ireland Fund, uh, I, I, I'm not sure whether you're familiar with the Ireland Fund, so mm-hmm. their, their mandate was, but going to Straban, going to Northern Ireland to visit and uh, having the kind of accent that I do, you found, you know, I, I was welcomed everywhere. But to, to think that there were two sides to this, who people who didn't get along, perhaps, seemed very strange to me. And I thought, there's got to be a way that these people can come together. There's got to be common ground. And that was why I got involved there. And, and the recognition of, uh, uh, Donna mentioned Ireland Park. And Ireland Park is uh, a piece of land that's been dedicated. It was a, a wharf. It's actually now called Aaron Key, where the wharf is on Lake Ontario. And uh, during the potato famine, 20,000 uh, immigrants landed uh, there in um, one summer, 1847, when the population of Toronto was half that. Wow. And uh, 
these people were, they were welcome to Toronto. A lot of, you know, they built fever sheds because a lot of them were suffering from cholera and certainly malnutrition. But um, this commemorates this great sacrifice that, uh, you know, that people made and, and the fact that Toronto welcomed them to, to, to a large extent. I mean, imagine that many immigrants arriving, refugees arriving now in any city. Mm. So uh, I think it was important to commemorate that. And that's why the, there are statues in Ireland Park that are reflected in the, the, another set on, on the quay in Dublin somewhere, I think. Yes, there's an uh, Irish sculptor who is responsible for the the uh, sculptures of the of the people who have left Ireland and then came came to came to Canada came specifically to Toronto, and it's uh, it's an important story to be told because of on so many levels, um, you know the history of the famine and and traveling and and going to as you said earlier coming to a country like Canada and but to come with nothing to come to a country with absolutely nothing mm-hmm. but the clothes on your back and have no sense of whether or not you will survive. And, uh, uh, you know, working in hospitality, we see a lot of new Canadians uh, coming through, through our operations because we, you know, we're an easy access point for work. And uh, it, it, it's, it's remarkable when you bring so many people together, so many different backgrounds and you have them working together, and you learn about their culture and their uh, history, and and uh, and everybody's getting along. You know, it's mm. the really United Nations in a restaurant for sure. And you would know that Matthew, if you've worked in in a restaurant as yeah, well. Absolutely. And uh, how well connected are? And if the answer's not at all, please just tell me. How well connected are you guys to other people who claim you know kind of Irish ancestry? Is there any sort of like an organized kind of community in Toronto? Is it something that comes up in conversation or is it something that is not even mentioned? Oh, I'd say we're pretty, pretty connected. We know a lot of people. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's a very, very strong Irish community in Toronto and probably right across the country. Uh, And uh, of course they're all, they're always the Irish that want to be Irish. (laughs) Wonderful. Uh, but there's a very strong sense of community here. It's, it's not got a lot of structure to it, but the Ireland Fund was certainly an anchor at one point. There are the, the uh, uh, Irish Benevolent Society and the Irish yep. Cultural Society, which are both very active in the city now and actually mm-hmm. have been um, hugely um, uh, involved in, in providing uh, support for. There are a lot of young Irish um, in Toronto who have perhaps not been able to avail themselves of the safety net the government has set up because they're recent arrivals. So the Irish Cultural Society and the Benevolent Society have been providing food vouchers, uh, you know, connecting them with, uh, with perhaps jobs that they can do. Uh, and um, the, the, the Irish community is, is pretty strong in Toronto. It is, yes. And we're pretty well connected to it. The Irish community has certainly been great to support us during this They've pandemic. They've been very good to support us during the pandemic, yes. Yeah. Mm. No, that's awesome. Great. I love learning. I uh, love learning new things. And that has been very, very interesting to kind of figure out. And it's so interesting, like I said, as someone who, 
you know, lives here, to see that there is a movement and a community of people so much bigger than the island that kind of exists and is there for each other. It's it's such a fascinating kind of thing to try to wrap your head around. I mentioned at the start, there's a few stock questions that we always kind of end every episode with. Uh, I promise the first one is the the, the, the biggest and uh, heaviest hitter. And it's very simply this, out of everything you've experienced so far, uh, what would you describe as the most challenging moment? And if you don't mind sharing, how have you been able to overcome it? Hmm. The most challenging moment in our lives? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> uh, well, I, I would have to say Kevin has had some health issues. Um, that was, yeah. Well, that was, yeah. That was hard. Yeah. yeah. In the yeah. Um, meltdown of after 2008, when, uh, you know, uh, we had, uh, done a, an incredible business plan. The bank had offered us money. And then they started saying, uh, no, we didn't say we would give you money for that. And we said, yeah, but so you've, you know, you've made these commitments. In the oh, new bank. We, we had a tremendous uh, uh, cash shortfall for a while. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was very stressful getting through the, uh, the first couple of years at the restaurant where we sold our house. We sold our house. Uh, <laughs> sell our house. Yeah. Uh, that was at Mildred's Temple Kitchen. And it just, again, we had come into this business making uh, with dinner service being our big expectation. And we had to pivot because it became brunch day part. And uh, just turning that whole expectation around, I, I found that hugely challenging. Mm. And although... Uh, Having leukemia is challenging too. It's sort of a different scale, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Flip side of that then, how about the most successful moment? Uh, well, I'm going to keep in, this, in the same theme, but uh, Kevin had a stem cell transplant because he, he was diagnosed with uh, acute myeloid leukemia. And... Um, uh, you know, in Canada, we have this wonderful healthcare system, and um, you know, it was a grueling process. And uh, Kevin was in, uh, incredible throughout all of it. It was, you know, it took its toll. But it's now two years almost, Kevin, since the transplant. Uh, Fourteen, 14 months. Fourteen months, yeah. And um, yeah, it's great. You know, we we uh, we're very, we feel very blessed. Mm-hmm. So. No, we won't be opening any more new restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, Kevin, excuse my ignorance, but what exactly, what goes on in a stem cell transplant? Well, it's um, basically they destroy all the bone marrow in your body. This is after I, I've had the I had chemotherapy for leukemia. The chemotherapy was in remission or the, the leukemia was in remission. So, but they, they don't. They expect it will come back. So in order to prevent that, they destroy all your bone marrow and give you somebody else's, basically. And it, it's, uh, it's done uh, like a blood transfusion. So it, uh, they just plug you into it. And um, the thing is, in order to do that, you have chemotherapy, you have radiation. To, so you're in a very weakened state. And uh, the... Uh, uh, Basically, it's then just recovering because there's uh, you take a lot of you're given a lot of drugs to uh, 
prevent rejection, like an organ transplant, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's so incredible because the donor, Kevin's donor, uh, fortunately, Kevin had 100% match, donor match. But the donor has come through the uh, International Donor uh, Bank. So we have no idea who this donor is and it makes you stop and think about this global community that we live in could be from northern ireland could be someone <laughs> it could be uh could be someone from down the street but um yeah it's it's quite re- it's quite remarkable it's quite remarkable it's great <laughs> kevin did you have a uh, success yes so far uh you know the um uh i actually had very, very little uh, uh, after effects, host versus graft or graft versus host uh, problems, uh, so that I was off the uh, anti-rejection medication very quickly. Uh, of course, you're never entirely out of the woods, but as the doctors explained to me, it's kind of like a, uh, you know, the, the likelihood that you'll have, it'll be rejected just continues to decrease over time. They put a two-year marker on it as kind of the critical stage, so I'm I'm doing very well, and um, I lost some weight that I needed to lose, and my hair came in darker than it was before. <laughs> That's so cool! Wow, few few pluses, I guess. Unexpected, very much yeah. so. Uh, final question, guys, uh, and it's the the one we always end with. Uh, it's a bit of a cliche, but if uh, if it's not broke, why fix it? If you could go back in time to, say, a 18-year-old version of yourself and you could take them out for, let's say, blueberry pancakes uh, and you could give them, you know, a couple of minutes of um, advice, what would you say to that 18-year-old? Stay out of the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to say that, Kevin. <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it, it's there. There been. <laughs> I worked for the government for a couple of years, the government of Canada, and you know, friends of mine who worked for them uh, are now retired. <laughs> but they, throughout their careers, they had you know, three weeks holidays a year. They had they've got great pensions. I would have been a raging alcoholic if I had to stay. Uh, it was I hated it working it for much there was the money was good but uh i think the the excitement the enjoyment that i've gotten out of working in the industry i i can't uh, i can't tell you how much it's been like the ups and downs you know i think you appreciate the ups when you've had the downs but yeah what would i tell the 18 year old self hmm, uh, yeah what would you what would you say kevin i'd be curious to know uh what would i tell myself uh well, think of, I, I mean, I think of some of the young don't people. Don't take it so seriously. Don't take it so seriously. Yeah. It's hard to know when it, you're going, when, when the world is going through what the world is going through today, what, what you would say today is what I might have said a year or two ago. But uh, you're young and you have your whole life ahead of you and, and live every moment of that life ahead of you because the time will fly by so fast. And... Um, you know, just keep looking forward. Keep looking forward. Amazing. It's great. Well, I thoroughly hope that you enjoyed uh, this time with Donna and Kevin. 
from the three of us just want to say thank you so much for spending it with us and i really hope you enjoyed whatever you've been up to whether you're uh you know out for your run or walking the dog or commuting to work whatever you might be up to uh really hope you have a great rest of your day i uh, want to thank ni connections once again for making today's episode possible and uh, another quick plug for their website which is niconnections.com where you can sign up for their free monthly newsletter to get connected to more interesting diaspora stories just like the one you've heard today and other than that donna and kevin i just really want to say thank you so much for uh giving up your time for getting up so early to do this that's really what i should have mentioned at the start of the show thank you so much and i really appreciate everything you've shared thank you matthew thank you it's a pleasure matthew hello my name is simon worthington and i am based in port stewart i am the editor of turf and grain magazine an independent magazine which is committed to sharing the stories experiences and ideas of the people of ireland I listen to Best of Belfast because it does the same thing for Northern Ireland and it shows us all that Northern Ireland has a better story to tell than what is often represented in the mainstream media. My favourite episode is the episode with Ryan Crown. Um, Ryan is someone I know and someone whose amazing career I've followed quite closely over the years. I support the podcast financially just because it's really important for independent media to receive backing because it's a really important space within our society and this podcast is just doing a really amazing thing for Belfast if I'm honest. If you've been on the fence about joining the Producers Club and would miss Best of Belfast if it wasn't here, I'd highly recommend considering joining it today. You can do that over at bestofbelfast.org and I look forward to chatting to you in the WhatsApp group soon. Thanks.